Good morning. As we begin worship today, we're going to begin worship singing. And we're supposed to have some help up here for me from four of our close friends. Okay, I'm catching two of them now. And um, yeah, there's three. All right, good. We're getting there. Let's uh, sing Holly, Holly, Holly. Give us a pitch. Holly, Holly, Holly. Hallelujah, sing with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, confidently. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Again and hallelujah, 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 sing this from the beginning. We'll sing it a couple of times, and then I'll sing a little solo part, and then we'll sing again, and then I'll sing a little solo, and then we'll do it again and come to a big conclusion at the end, okay? All right, we're ready. Let's have you guys play a little bit. Two, three, and...
Well, hallelujah and good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Mary Alice and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And if you are new to Calvary, we just want you to know that we're really glad that you're here. And we would be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you later this week just to get to know you better. And one way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out the visitor card that is in your pews and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That's also a way that you can ask for more information about different ministries here at Calvary or just let us know how we can be praying with you in the coming week. Well, I don't know about you all, but I get the feeling that this is a busy time of year for many of us. And when we ask each other how we are, we usually respond with how busy we are and all the things that we are doing or all the things that we need to be doing or wish we could be doing but feel like we don't have time to be doing. And it can feel a little overwhelming. But worship isn't a time for us to be busy. And so for this time together this morning, I would like to invite us to unbusy ourselves. Perhaps we need to unbusy our minds, the constantly running thoughts that never seem to slow down. Maybe we need to unbusy our hearts, the emotions, anxieties, fears, and uncertainties that seem to cycle through us without letting go. Or we might need to unbusy our hands, the constant need to be doing something, checking our phones, going over our to-do list. As we reorient our minds, our hearts, and our bodies to God, let's seek to be fully present in this place during this time of worship. So that when we leave this place today, we might be more able to hear the things that God wants us to hear. So that we can do the things that God wants us to do. And so that we might become the people God is calling us to be. And so with our minds, our hearts, and our bodies fully present in this place, let us worship God together today. Hallelujah.
To you, God, we offer our prayers and praise. Draw us into your presence this morning and give us rest and strength as we worship you in word, music, and communion. Amen. deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. 
The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God.
time began, God after all time ends, God of the present moment, we worship you. Before our earliest memories, you knew us, and after all memories shall cease, you will know us still. Out of reach of the highest endeavors of science and undefined by the deepest workings of our brains, yet to the humble heart, the quested, questing spirit, the anguished soul, the quiet mind, you choose in love and mercy to make yourself known. Before such love, such divinity, what can we do but humble ourselves and place our trust in you? look in mercy on our anxious lives. Day by day we struggle to achieve, rarely stopping to ask if our achievements will match your will. Day by day we battle to communicate, rarely remembering to check if our communication is a channel for your good news. Day by day we endeavor to control, rarely pausing to ensure that first we are controlled by your spirit. Forgive the frantic fury of our anxious lives. Speak to us in the midst of the struggles of daily living. Catch us now, we pray, as we humble ourselves, as we wait together on you. Gracious God, your love brings life to dead souls, light to dark minds, and strength to weak wills. Show us how to search for you in the midst of life. Help us to believe and trust that no wrong we have done and no good we have failed to do is too great for you to pardon through Jesus Christ, your Son. Today we humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would lessen our burdens, open our minds, calm our fears, expand our visions, encourage our hearts, and nurture our souls. In whatever ways that are needed, we ask that you will lift us up today. Amen.
with the psalmist we pray. O God, you desire truth in the inward being. So teach us now with wisdom in the secret heart. Amen. I'm I'm guessing that, um, like a lot of you all, I grew up in a religious tradition where worship was focused on the altar call. We were revivalists, and all that we did at the 11 o'clock hour, and generally any time we were in some sort of worship, was about the thing that would happen at the end of it. The organist would quietly slip into place, usually as the pastor was winding up his sermon, and she'd begin to play softly as he sort of made that transition from sermon into altar call where he would begin the plea for us to make a decision for Christ. And that's about the time we would hear it. It was this ritual, liturgical language common to nearly every Baptist and every Baptist church in the land. Just as our Episcopal brothers and sisters down the street, about the time they were hearing the Lord be with you, we Baptists were hearing every head bowed and every eye closed. It's not all that we heard if you grew up Baptist. How many of you grew up Baptist, by the way? Sort of evangelical in that, in that setting. There were a lot of uh, pet pastoral go-tos. You know, it was preacher altar lingo, and you remember them. Uh, I, I, my preacher would say, we're going to do business with God now. Or he might say, as we stand and the choir sings, you come. And then I had an older preacher who would kind of get in a whiny voice, and he would say, won't you come? We'll not tarry long. And then uh, most of you remember Billy Graham's favorite, if you come with a group, they'll wait. But the best line, say it with me, was with every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, for all of the the teasing we moderates may do now about the way we used to do invitations. I just want to go on record as saying that the theology of it, the spiritual psychology of those seven words at least, I think had the potential to take us to a very good place, knowing that what we hear over and again forms us at the deepest level. Let me just offer that little aside what you hear over and again in church forms you at the deepest level so I heard over and again every head bowed and every eye closed and it was powerfully I think formative language because we heard it again and again and again every head bowed and every eye closed it both invited us to enter don't you think humbly into our own holy of holies and then equally important It confronted the human tendency to size ourselves up in the world by looking about, which is, of course, our human tendency to compare ourselves with other selves and our lives with other lives and our righteousness and goodness to the holiness of others. It's always been that way. And so Jesus tells a story to those who, Luke says, were looking down on, on others. Those who go to the temple and into that sacred moment, eyes looking about and heads proudly raised. So the Pharisee stands up, and, and you got to think Luke's maybe trying to say something funny here when he says, and he prays about himself. 
And as he prays, he's multitasking because he sees the sinner nearby. God, I thank you. I'm not like all those others. It's so good, God, being so good. Unlike that slimy, sleazy, low-life tax collector right over there, which was probably a pretty good assessment of the publican, as some translations render it. He is, in fact, probably a sleaze. He takes advantage of oppressed people. He's an ally and a convenient servant to Rome, and he is getting rich in the process. So he's hated by a lot of folks. But at the end of the parable, and at the end of the day, he's the one who leaves justified, standing aside as he does. Reverently with his head bowed and his eyes closed, from that position he sees himself. And he knows his need. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, or as it's probably better translated, the sinner. He bows his head. He closes his eyes. His heart opens as a result. And when he leaves, Jesus says he's the one that's leaving justified because somehow he has stepped into the reality of God's grace and been now rightly oriented to God. Because most of us have grown up in church and spent a good bit of time with the Bible, we miss the punch of this parable because when we read the Gospels and we come across the Pharisees, the truth of it is we hear that Darth Vader music in the background. So let's just do that. And the Pharisees, dum, 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 To us, they're bad guys. They're not good guys. But they actually were good people. They had family values and they did what was right. They did their part in the world. And apparently, spiritually speaking, we may be most vulnerable when that's our profile. Seems to be the case. When you're up, you just have a tendency to look down, which is what Luke calls them on. They feel okay because, well, they are good. They really are. And being truly good can apparently set you up to be truly lost and worse to not really see it. Jesus was asked once for a sign. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, which is the sign of descent because Jonah goes down to Joppa and down into the boat and down into the sea and down into the fish. It's the path of descent. Um, and when we're doing good, we're maybe really vulnerable. So Jesus would have to tell a different parable to us, right, to get our attention, a different story. When Jesus saw the good and faithful folks filing into Calvary each Sunday, as they do, he told them this story. Verily, verily, some Calvaronians went into worship to pray. And as they worshiped, they were aware of one another and aware of other people as they prayed to God. And one said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like those who are here so infrequently. I'm a regular attender. I, I volunteered to do extended session, and I even worked the yard sale. Another said, God, I'm so thankful I'm a part of an open-minded church and not like those narrow fundamentalists. I read all the time, especially Anne Lamott. I, I, I vote for progressive candidates, and I always use inclusive language. Still another said, uh, God, I thank you that I stand firm for our cherished doctrines. I, I thank you that I'm not like those 
postmodernists who can't make up their minds. I fight the good fight. I'm, I'm not afraid to have convictions. And another prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like those who get so mad and can't forgive. They're just so bitter. And another, I thank you then I'm not like those who seem to be so driven and such, have such a need to be a somebody. Bless their hearts. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not a three on the Enneagram. <laughs> and another prayed, I'm glad I'm not like those who can't relax and lighten up. That I'm not like those who've stopped singing hymns for goodness sakes. That I'm not like those stuck in traditions, old traditions. One stood and prayed, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee in the parable that we just read. On and on and on it goes. Like a broken record we go. Always seeing distinctions and justifying ourselves by them. It's this collective bad, egoic human habit, and though it is the world's plague for sure, sometimes it seems we Christians are more troubled by it. A few years back, I was talking to this church consultant. I think it was at one of Randall's events, actually. I remember exactly where I was standing. And this uh, researcher who focused, uh, Barner, y'all know George Barner. He, was, he, he focuses on church and faith and church people and he said he had done a study recently uh, where they had tried to determine what was different about Christians. And Barna said there were two things. One, Christians go to church more than non-Christians. And my friend said, and you got paid to actually... <laughs> yeah. The second thing was that Christians were more judgmental than non-Christians, and you didn't need the data to know that, did you? I mean, first of all, it's just the way the binary brain functions, right? Our brains come, we come into the world with an operating system, and it's binary, and we see, and when we see, we compare. So the human brain knows everything by comparison, right? One of these things is not like the other, right? But it seems that Christians somehow have this kind of extra enzyme into the whole thing where we take judgment further than most. We, we maybe don't just notice the difference, but we move towards condemnation. So it seems to be in our spiritual DNA somehow. I mean, it's our brains, but we're also formed to get it right and get it right and see anybody else who's not getting it right. I'm sure glad I'm not, and then here comes whatever moral distinction, whatever distinction that defines us, defines me. There's a story that emerges from the Desert Fathers, this early Christian thinkers who went out into the desert, monastic types. It was about Abba Moses. It happened that one of the brothers in the community committed a serious sin. The elders had a meeting and asked Abba Moses to join them. He, however, refused to come. The priest sent him a message in the following terms. Come, the community is waiting for you. So then he rose and started the journey, carrying an old basket with a hole in it. He filled it with sand and dragged it behind him. The elders went to meet him, and he asked them, Father, 
And they asked him, Father, what does this mean? The old man answered, It is my sins running out behind me, and I do not notice them. That's how I'm coming to judge the sins of another. Upon hearing this, they said nothing to the brother and pardoned him. Those who've progressed in the journey of faith, the saints who go deep and throughout the ages have told us what they have said about this is that judgment is the last and hardest thing to rid ourselves of. Whatever it is we all happen to struggle with, our, our kind of signature sin, they say this one's the hardest. It's who we are. It's in our brain. It's our human instinct to justify ourselves by pointing. And it's, it's been that way from the very beginning, the first pages. Remember Adam caught in the garden with the forbidden fruit. Who me? No God. It's that woman over there you gave me because that's the instinct. We've got to get some separation. I'm glad I'm not like that woman you gave me. Separation. God, I'm sure glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. Some separation. God, I'm, not, I'm sure glad I'm not like those preachers who still wear ties on Sunday and preach 30 minutes long. Separation. We just do it constantly. It's our instinct. And so in some sense, because it's our instinct, when we come to worship and we come to church, we come here to retrain ourselves, to reform ourselves in something different. You probably know that in the liturgical traditions, they do that each Sunday morning in unison. Oh God, we have sinned in what we have done and what we have left done. And they'll list a few things. We have sinned. And they pray it weekly. Oh God, we have sinned in what we have done and left undone. And the next week, and the next week, God, we have sinned in what we have done and what we have left undone until it's kind of echoing in their heart. We are part of the fallen reality. We have sinned. We're connected to all of it. We're bearing part of it and manifesting part of it and probably our fair share. One wiser, more accomplished saint wrote in recent years saying, I've spent 28 years fighting to see all human beings as one. I, I think in so many ways as we bow our heads and close our eyes it's ironically what happens is that we start not only to see ourselves clearly but see ourselves clearly as a part of the whole and a part of the whole world and a part of the whole world's problems and all of its pain and sin maybe that's why mother Teresa of all people would say that there is a Hitler in us all so we're, we're never really able to rightly look at anybody and say I'm sure glad I'm not like her because we are we're like everyone and Jesus makes that clear in the Beatitudes you've heard it said but I say to you you've heard it said but I say to you and then every teaching leads us in the Sermon on the Mount leads us to sort of leveling of the sinful playing field doesn't it it just will not let us live here 
God's heart is the altar. It is that, that, that place where it's better to be one day than a thousand anywhere else. It's the center point. It's the center point, and it's like each of us. Our lives is a radius, and all these are meeting there at the heart of God. It's like we're spokes on the wheel, and God is the center of that. So the further away we are out here from the divine, from that, that place of knowing, the further we are out here, the further we are apart, and so much more likely than to point our finger in condemnation at somebody else. But the nearer we are, the more we come to the center of God's heart, there we begin to see as spokes on God's wheel our sameness, knowing that we share that reality in the world's reality too. It's just what happens when we come to any altar, and especially to this table, properly. We walk forward as a member of the human family, all saints, all sinners, all frail creatures of dust and all stardust too, just a little lower than the angels. And right here we see ourselves and we see one another and we see God. We know for a moment even as we have been known. There's nothing to claim here, right? Except your own need and the world's need. Nothing to cling to except what God puts in your hands to receive. I left my revivalist home a long time ago, and truth be known, I don't miss much of it. But there were, however, some instincts nurtured in me to bow my head in reverence and shut my eyes so that I would stop comparing. And there I would be, standing often with hands white-knuckled on the pew in front of me with every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'd sing with brothers and sisters, and I would pray as we pray now. Oh God, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am poor, Wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need, and thee I find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Have mercy, O God, on all of us. Amen. As our musicians lead us, we'll stand and sing as always, and our ministers will be at the back to receive you and pray with you about the journey that you're making with Jesus. Let's stand together and declare our faith.
We have a few closing announcements. Um, first, I hope that you all are planning to attend our cookout at the Village's Apartments next Sunday evening from 5 to 7 p.m. And the Community Missions Life Group is doing a fabulous job helping us to get ready for that. And we are going to be visiting our neighbors at the Village's today and handing out flyers to invite everyone to join us for the cookout. And so if anyone has a few minutes after church that you would be willing to join us, we will meet in the Welcome Center and look for David Norris or Ed Davis for more information about that. Next, I'd like to invite Joel Weaver to come up and give an announcement from our Pastor Search Committee.
Here, I'll come to you. Thank you. Yes, my name is Joel Weaver, and I, along with Jody Heston, have been elected co-chairs of your pastoral search committee. And now I see the looks of disappointment <laughs> on your faces. I would just like to point out to you that in the fall of 2016, you have worse electoral options than me. So <laughs> bear that in mind. We just wanted to let you know that we have convened in our meeting. We are meeting every Tuesday night, except for our weeks of our major holidays, until we have a new pastor. And, and so we wanted to let you know that uh, if you know of anyone who's interested in the position or would like to recommend anyone, resumes are to be sent to pastorsearch at cbcwaco.net. And on the date of January 31st, we will take, it's a, it's a deadline, but a soft deadline. We will still take applications after that point. But at that point, we will take the group that we have, and we already, have already received them, and we are looking through them, and we will begin to whittle them down after that date. And we also wanted to tell you to look uh, for your email as well as the tower. We're going to have an online survey next week starting Sunday, October 30th that will run through Sunday, November 6th, uh, where we would like to get some information from you about characteristics you would look for in a pastor. If you are uh, would prefer not to take it online, we will have some paper copies available in the office upon request. Thanks so much, Joel. And last, I want to ask Meg Wallace if you would come up. I hope you all have gotten a chance to meet Meg. She is our new social work intern, and her weeks have already been so full. I'm working with our partnership with West Avenue, um, also working with our Samaritans Fund team. So Meg is the person who meets with a lot of individuals and families needing assistance. And Meg has been doing such a good job that, that our fund is very low right now. And today, as is our tradition when we um, take the Lord's Supper, we will be also collecting the Samaritan's Fund. So I just ask that you give generously to that. Be looking for a Tower article from Meg this week with more information about how that fund is used. Um, but I hope you will take a moment to get to know Meg, and she has been a delight to work with, and we are thrilled to have her at Calvary this year. Please stand and join us for our benediction. And now to God, who by the power at work within each one of us is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus and in God's church and in each one of us. Amen. Go now in peace.
Amen.